This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. Okay, who are we talking to? We have a good one this week. We are speaking to Mark. His company is called Advanced Interviewing Concepts. And what they do is they train individuals on how to analyze verbal or written statements. So they're looking to see if the individual giving those statements is being truthful or deceptive. Mm. Interesting. Yes. So I think of it as kind of our linguist. Okay. But more honed in a little bit. Okay. So he's kind of like figuring out what someone's saying within like a statement. Yeah. So I think it's, let's say you got brought into the station under the idea that you possibly, you know, killed me. Oh, okay. Perfect. Well, maybe not killed. That's a little dark for a Tuesday morning. How about you, you know, you stole something. Okay. They're going to bring you in. They're going to ask you to give a statement. I think sometimes you have to write a statement as well. I don't know if it's required or not. And then Mark would analyze that statement and say, Nikki's lying or we need to push her harder on this detail. Okay. Or based on what she wrote here, it doesn't really match up with this. Because of X. So I think he's looking at you with like a magnifying glass. All from what I'm writing. I mean, again, remember, it's a Mariah thought. So I could be a little off base, but that is my interpretation of what he does. I like it. I'm into this. Well, let's uh, bring him on. Okay, guys. So this week's episode is going to be a little different due to a technical error on my end. We don't have the recording of Mark and I first getting started on our interview. So it's going to feel a little, uh, what's the word, Um, jarring, but we're just going to jump right into it. So we're going to skip over the pleasantries of when Mark joined us, but don't worry, we're just going to get to the good stuff. You're just kind of missing the formal introductions and uh, pleasantries. So here we go. I hope you guys enjoy it. Again, apologies for the structure for this week, but all the good stuff's there. I promise. So what is your official title? Because I know when I was doing my kind of, you know, internet stalking, your background that I saw was really heavy in statement analysis, but you own your own company. So if you didn't own your own company, what would your title be? (laughs) So my uh, official title, when I retired, I was a supervisory deputy United States Marshal. But yeah, as you mentioned, I currently own my own company, Advanced Interviewing Concepts, and I'm just the president of advanced interviewing concepts. How did you end up owning your company? Walk me through kind of your trajectory. Well, I started in federal law enforcement in 1983 with the Secret Service Uniform Division. I was assigned to the White House. President Reagan was in Austin at that time, good president to work for. If you're standing post and he came walking by, he would always acknowledge you. But the job was strictly protection. I wanted to do investigative work. So in 1985, I switched to the U.S. Marshal Service became a deputy United States Marshal. And my first duty station was Springfield, Illinois, and I did court security and fugitive investigations. And then I got promoted to an instructor position at our training academy. And the Marshal Service Training Academy is located at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia. And I taught there for nine years, all through the 90s, and I was responsible for teaching uh, interviewing techniques. And so during that time, I did some studies on deceptive statements, deceptive language, and 
developed what I call a statement analysis, which is analyzing how a person phrases their verbal or written statement in order to determine if they're being deceptive or being truthful. So in retirement now, I travel around the country teaching statement analysis, primarily to law enforcement officers, but most of my classes are open to anybody who wants to learn how to detect deception. Anybody who conducts interviews would benefit from the training. So let's break this down. We had a linguist join us early on in our podcast, and he talked about how he's looking at the written words and kind of the way that they say things or the tenses or things like that. How do you go about detecting the lies? Well, the first thing you want to do is just listen to what people tell you. Look at how they phrase their statement. Most people will not lie. And Later on, people say, well, he was lying. And if you really look at their statement, you'll find out they weren't lying. And the most common form of lying is by omission. People just leave out information. But a lot of times we can detect that by looking at how they phrase their statement. Or what people do is they will qualify their statement by using certain words. For example, in May of 2020, President Trump was taken to an underground bunker at the White House. And the press found out about it. They asked him why he was taken down there. And he said, I was down during the day and I was there for a tiny, a little short period of time. And it was much more for an inspection. So he wants us to believe that he went to this underground bunker to inspect it. But the key words he used was it was much more for an inspection. So the words much more tell us was another reason why he went down there. And later the attorney general confirmed that he was taken to the bunker by the Secret Service out of a security precaution because there are a lot of protesters outside the White House. So he can't say, I went down there to inspect it. That would be a lie. There's another reason why he's down there. So he's trying to downplay it. But people will qualify their statement by using certain words or phrases. So it's still a truthful statement, but we can see they're maybe withholding some information. I see. So there's little clues that they're saying. I think Nikki and I had talked about this in the past. Maybe it's something like, I drink Diet Coke, but I didn't say what day I drank the Diet Coke or where I got the Diet Coke. You're just omitting certain truthful facts right. to it. Or how much Diet Coke you drank. Right, right. Do you think that people are conscious of that and they're trying to say it without saying it? Why do you think they don't just say a full lie and something completely opposite? Well, I think, you know, most people raise that, you know, lying is wrong. You should always tell the truth. Uh, when it comes to politicians, they know they're being recorded. They're on camera. And so they don't want to just tell a flat lie, a direct lie. And so sometimes they specifically choose their words, how they're going to phrase something. Other times they don't realize what they're saying. They just go ahead and say it. Um, when Hillary Clinton was running for president in 2016, she was interviewed by Scott Pelley with CBS News. And Pelley reminded her that Jimmy Carter, when he ran, he famously said, I will not lie to you. So then Mrs. Clinton commented on that by saying... Well, I have to tell you, I have tried in every way I know how. Literally for my years as a young lawyer, all the way through my time as Secretary of State to love with the American people. But the key word she uses is the word tried. I have tried to love with the American people. Well, the word tried means you attempted, but you failed to do it. And that's exactly what she said. But now Scott Polly doesn't pick up on that. But she couldn't say, I've always loved with the American people. That's what we want to hear. But she didn't realize what she was saying, but... You know, she knows it's the truth, and she knows what she's saying is the truth, and so that's why it get, it slips in there. Now, you know, she's not the only politician to use the word tried. I mean, her husband, 
Bill Clinton did it as president. President Trump used it. It gets used a lot, but people don't pay attention. It goes in one ear and out the other. That's interesting. Are they trained to say things like that, like half-truths? Uh, trained in some sense that their advisors or if they're in trouble, their attorneys might coach them on, you know, you're going to give a statement and this is how you need to phrase it. But just in general, when they're just given a statement, you know, they know the truth. They know that if I you know, say this, that's bad. So therefore, even sometimes unconsciously, but they'll think about, well, how am I going to say it? So it's still true. But again, it's by omission, I'm leaving out some information. Or people use words and phrases such as, you know, later on or therefore after, which means they skipped over something in their statement. You know, later on, we did this. Well, what happened before that then? It's still a truthful statement, but they're withholding some information. They try to skip over the parts they don't want to talk about. And you see that more in criminal cases, not with politicians, but with criminals. They'll, they'll give you a truthful statement, but they use a lot of language that skips over something. Yeah, see, that's interesting to me because I'm just thinking about myself. And I don't know if I would have the, I don't know if it's like brains or what to do that. I think I would just be so nervous. I would just say everything. Well, I think, Nikki, your natural instincts kind of kick in a little bit. If you are actively trying to lie, you're going to, like he said, you're going to skip over things. If I took my son to school and then murdered somebody, I'm going to say, oh, I took my son to school and then I went to the grocery store. Or after that, I went to the grocery store. But like you said, you're, you're, what happened right after you went to school? Like, where's that chunk? You know, like, I think you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I think you somehow... You work it out in your brain because you are actively trying to, to lie. Right. But even like in your example, first you said, and then I went to school where the word then is a word that indicates a passing of time. Now, people have a tendency to interpret the word then as meaning immediately, which it does mean. But the, the word then can also mean soon afterwards. And then in, when you second example, you use the word after, which again indicates a passing of time. And so as an investigator, I'd want to back you up to see exactly after you dropped your son off did you immediately go shopping or whatever it was or you know did something else go on there that's interesting that you can see that in just a statement like little words like that that make you back them up see a lot of times we have a tendency to interpret what people are saying which we should never do because one we can't read somebody's mind but people mean exactly what they say but it's just kind of a natural thing for example if, if uh, investigating an arson and we have a suspect and maybe he's the one that called 911, but he might say, after I saw the flames, I called 911. Well, again, the word after indicates a passing of time. We have a tendency to interpret that as being immediately, because that's what we would do. If we saw a house on fire, we'd immediately call 911. But it could be he set the house on fire. He sits back. He wants to watch it for 20 minutes. Then he calls 911. Well, his statement, after I saw the flames, I called 911, is a truthful statement. But we just can't take it for granted. All that means immediately. And, of course, we could have 911 records we could check and stuff like that. But it is something we want to investigate. How did you get into this? Were you always wanting to decipher those type of things? Or did you just kind of fall into it? Well, when they asked me if I would teach interviewing techniques at the academy, when I got there, I said yes. And so they sent me to some classes on linguistic analysis. And as I got into it, I found it to be very fascinating. And so that's when I decided to conduct my own studies on deceptive language for the nine years I was teaching. And I still conduct studies even after I left the academy. But throughout the years, I was able to discover more things than what I was taught by you know other instructors. 
And I would say probably half the techniques I teach, I discovered on my own. The other half, you know, we're already out there. People uh, were, were teaching them. How many of you are there in the United States? Is this a common job? It's not a common job. Now, there's lots of detectives, investigators that use the techniques. The techniques, linguistic analysis in terms of detecting deception, probably been around the U.S. since the late 80s. But there's only a handful of people that do it on a full-time basis, travel around the country, you know, conducting classes. But a lot of a lot of investigators do use the techniques. When you had a case, was it always where you worked or people from all around call you in? Is that more like they need you for something bigger and just not a common robbery? Or is it used for a lot of different crimes? It's used for a lot of different crimes. And while I was working and even in retirement now, because I offer my services free to law enforcement, investigators will send me statements to take a look at. Now, if they use the techniques and believe the person's telling the truth, then I usually don't hear from them. It's usually when they're not quite sure if the person's being truthful or not, they may send me the, their statement. But I'm not inundated with a lot of statements because I think a lot of times investigators are able to figure out the person's lying or not. And and the ultimate goal is they get a confession if that's what we're looking for. But I still get statements from time to time from detectives who want to know if this person being truthful or they're being deceptive. Why do they have people write a statement? Is that also part of the process to get them to admit guilt? Is it all part of the interviewing? Then you have to write it down. And is it just to keep up with what they've talked about and then write it down and remember, if they are lying, remember what they've said? You don't have to have a written statement. I encourage it. Now with the Marshal Service, most of our interviews were conducted at somebody's front doorstep or at their workplace and so we didn't get very many written statements we were just taking notes but i tell them in an interview setting where you're bringing somebody into your office yes first get a written statement because it's preserved in writing we can take our time analyzing it and then you're gonna do the verbal interview and one you're looking to make sure that the oral interview matches what they put down on writing if there's any contradictions there, but it also gives you a second chance to analyze now their oral statement. And you can also ask specific questions about errors you think they're being deceptive in their in their written statement. Interesting enough, a lot of times people will be more truthful or tell you more things in a written statement than they will with a verbal statement. Oh, really? Yeah. Why not, do you think that is? I'm not sure why that is. I mean, you give them plenty of time to write it so they can sit there and think about it. Now in an oral interview, people know, hey, if I pause too long that looks suspicious obviously they're thinking about it whereas you leave them in a room by themselves they can sit there and, and take as long as they want that's fine with me just give me a statement and i'll tell you if they're being truthful or deceptive so i think people have more time to think about it and will sometimes offer more information whereas in an oral interview it's you know you're more on the spot you're asking answering questions and so people sometimes if they're smart enough they'll give very short answers <laughs> How long is a written statement? Are some just a couple sentences or some like a novel? Is there a length that they need to write? No specific length, but what you want to do is ask them an open-ended type question, which will require a lengthy answer. For example, write, write down what happened. Well, if you think they committed a crime on a certain day, write down what you did today from the time you woke up to the time you went to sleep. They'll still leave information out, but they have to give you somewhat of a lengthy statement. So, you know, some people might write one paragraph. Some people may write, you know, two pages worth. It depends on how the interviewer phrases the question, but you want to kind of keep it open so that they had to give you somewhat of a lengthy statement. Okay. Have you ever had anybody pretend that they don't know how to write? I have never seen that. Now, you... You can run into that with, you know, if English isn't their first language. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Now, the techniques are based 
on the English language as spoken in the U.S. So even if we're analyzing statements from England or Australia, it's English, but obviously they got different words and phrases they use that we don't use. We can we can still use the techniques, but we have to take that in consideration. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. If someone speaks Spanish or writes in Spanish or you know, Chinese or whatever. Because some of the techniques that I teach are based on the rules of grammar. And those rules differ if you're talking somebody who's speaking Spanish or another language. They got different rules, and so they may phrase it differently. Wow, there's a lot to it. And then are there different ways that people talk within even United States? Oh, yeah, definitely. Different, different vernaculars around the country. Obviously, in the South, they've got some different phrases they're going to say. Yeah, I'm going to carry my wife to the grocery store, something like that. What does that mean? I'm going to take her? Yeah, I'm going to take her. (laughs) But they're going to carry her. (laughs) That's really interesting. I've lived in the South for 30 years now. I mean, I like it here, but I I still stick to my Northern roots when it comes to speech. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder where they got that one, carrier. That's funny. That's an interesting one. (laughs) I have a lot of friends that will say that. I just wanted to kind of step back a little bit um, because in my head I was thinking of looking at this as like let's analyze when you do verbal statements. So in addition to when you're listening for like those qualifying words, what other markers or indicators are you looking for? Because in my head I think, okay, I would be watching for body language cues, eye contact, or maybe the speed in which they're talking. So if they take a long pause, is that a red flag? So I guess to streamline my question. It would be, what other indicators are you looking for when you're listening or taking a verbal statement? Well, we can gain some information by looking at their body language. You know, in our society, you're supposed to be eye contact, not 100% of the time, but if a person's just staring down at the floor answering your questions, that's a strong indication they're not being very forthright. And you know, when the hand touches, comes up and touches the chin or the lips, that's an indication perhaps what they just said may not be the complete truth. So there's some nonverbal signals we can detect. Obviously, if they're fidgety in their chair, they're a little bit nervous. Sometimes those can be explained, you know, for other reasons. But we do want to pay attention to that stuff. Now, I tell people don't focus on the body language, focus on the language itself. But if they give you something that's obvious, and yeah, let's let's take advantage of that. Obviously, we've got some key words that we talked about. But there's some things in the language that people don't realize what the person has just said indicates, you know, possible deception. For example, the phrase, I have no idea or no clue. Rarely can a person honestly say that. Most people have an idea or opinion on just about everything. I have an idea we can send astronauts to Mars. It's not going to work because I'm not a rocket scientist, but I got an idea. And so when you hear that phrase, I have no idea, that's a, a common one for deceptive people. It's their way of trying to avoid telling you something. Now, again, keep in mind, you may be talking to a friend. You'll ask them something. They'll say, oh, I got no idea. Your friend's not necessarily being deceptive, but he probably does have an idea. He just doesn't want to offer an opinion. he just rather talk about something else. And that's probably what's going on there. But in the case of a suspect who you think committed a crime, that's a strong indication that you probably are withholding some information because I've seen it over and over again when people say, I, you know, I have no idea, no clue. And then it turns out they're found guilty. In fact, what people sometimes do is they'll say, well, I have no idea. And then in the very next sentence, they'll offer a suggestion. So it turns out they did, they did have an idea, but people just like, <laughs> people just like to say that, you know, I have no idea. So I teach people certain words or phrases, you know, to listen for, 
one of the big ones is the word never because the word never does not mean no so you can't use the word never as a substitute for the word no but deceptive people will do this you know did you bring a gun to his house i never had a gun well because the word never is a negative word it fools the interviewer into believing the person has given a good denial but it's a very poor denial because again the word never does not mean no the word never means not ever so when a person says i have never they're talking about their entire lifetime well, I didn't ask you about your entire lifetime. I asked you, did you bring a gun to his house, you know, on this particular day, this particular house? And so the best answer is to say no, but that's a lie. And people don't want to lie or tell a direct lie, so they'll use the word never. I never had a gun to try to convince you I didn't bring it to the house, but we can see the deception there. Very clever. Yeah, because I would have taken never as a no. Right. I mean, we saw we saw it with the Jesse Smollett case. I mean, you recall the actor was in oh, yeah. Chicago, said he, 2.30 in the morning, was attacked by two men yelling MAGA slogans. And, well, they found the two men who were brothers, and the police from day one believed it was a staged attack. And the brothers told him, yeah, he paid us to attack him. Here's the check he gave us. Well, Smollett said, no, that check was for, I think, you know, fitness advice. Well, one of the brothers testified in court at his trial that he gave us this check. So that kind of forced Smollett's hand. He had to testify. So his attorney asked him, did you give him a check as payment for some silly hoax? And Smollett answered that by saying, never. Instead of saying no, which is the best answer, he used the word never in lieu of the word no, which indicates deception. And he was, conv oh, interesting. He was convicted of those charges. Is that just a natural instinct to say never? You can't think of it that way because you have to think of it as you are guilty. If Mark's asking me, did you right. take the gun to Nikki's house? I'm not going to say no, because I did, but I might say something like, oh, I would never do that. Or I would, you know, I've never had a gun before, you know? Yeah. Okay. Right. I could see that now. You can't look at it as you're yeah. truly an innocent person. You have to look at it through the frame of it probably guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around it where I'm thinking, I just, it's crazy to, it's so interesting how that happens, how people say these little tiny phrases that sound like, I mean, if someone said never to me, I'm thinking, oh, that's a no, you know, <laughs> even though they didn't say no, it's really wild. And it could be that they didn't do it, but the best answer is to say no. And why do you think they wouldn't say no? People don't want to lie. Because then uh. it is, like you said, it's a flat out lie versus, because right, like, let's think about it. Even with your boys, if you caught them stealing a cookie and you said, hey, there were 12 cookies here. Now there's only 10. They're not going to just flat out say, I didn't do it. They're going to say, I don't know what happened. It wasn't me. You <laughs> yeah. know, like they're going <laughs> to deflect because that feels not as aggressive or disrespectful as a flat out no, you know? But I could tell by their body language. I read their body language. I'm like, oh, you did it. I can <laughs> see, see it. You're not making eye contact. <laughs> if the body language says they're lying, the language itself will also reflect that. That's what I have found. In the case of the kid with the cookie, usually what would happen is if, you know, if he took one and then you ask him, did you take a cookie? He doesn't want to lie. So what he might say is, I don't like those kind of cookies. Yeah. <laughs> which, might be, which might be a truthful statement. But the point is, and this happens a lot as well, he gave you an answer, but he didn't answer your specific question. I didn't ask you if you like those kind of cookies. I asked you, did you take one? And the answer should be yes or no. And that happens a lot too, where people will give an answer, but they don't answer the specific question. And that's a strong indication. They absolutely are withholding information because they haven't answered your question. Do you ask them yes or no? Just yes or no. Do you like a cookie? Or do you just... 
leave it kind of open-ended and they can elaborate on it. Yeah, you always leave it open. You don't want to tell them how to answer a question. Just ask the question, you know, did you do it? And let's see what they say. If they say no, that's a good answer, but they might say, I would never do that or something like that. You know, Oklahoma bomber that Timothy McVeigh was asked, have you ever built a bomb? And he answered, I've never had my hand on one. I didn't ask if you ever had your hand on one. I asked you if you ever built a bomb. He tries to give the impression, if I didn't touch one, I must not have built it, but you haven't answered my specific question. They just, you know, it's same thing with Bill Clinton. He's on the campaign trail. Was asked, ever, ever use illegal drugs? His answer, I've never broken the laws of my country. That's not <laughs> what I asked you. And finally, a reporter picked up on that and asked him, have you ever broken the laws of another country? And that's when he admitted that while he was in England attending Oxford, he didn't inhale, whatever it was, but he did experiment. So it happens a lot. You ask a question, they give you an answer, listen to their answer. Ask yourself, did they answer your specific question? Because if they haven't, they absolutely are withholding information. How long does that process start to finish? They come in, you guys are interviewing them. Is, is this like an eight hour thing, a six hour thing, a, a day or two thing? How, or just kind of depends? It, it kind of depends. It could just be within an hour. I mean, if you obviously think they're being truthful, then it's going to be a, very, a much shorter interview. And then we all hear about it or see it where they have a suspect. They know he's guilty by maybe evidence they have, they're trying to get a confession. And so they're, they just keep interviewing him and, you know, trying to wear him down. But for the most part, you can tell very quickly if the person's being deceptive. Now, if they're not going to answer your questions, then it's going to be a very short interview. But you just keep going over errors in their statement that you think indicate deception, indicate they skipped over something, and you're trying to hopefully get them to come clean and tell you, you know, what happened or what they did. Have you ever encountered someone that's just a really good liar? Can that happen too, where they're just very aware of their verbal statement and a written statement, and they are, are lying? Well, when I teach my classes, you know, I put up, several objectives I have on the board, but I tell the class now, this is not one of my objectives, but this class does teach you how to be a better liar because you know, you know what not to say. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah. some people are better liars than others. But what I always say is there's no such thing as a good liar. They're only bad listeners. If you listen closely, it starts to come out. Now, some people may not give as many deceptive indicators. Other people, they tell a lie and their face turns red. It's very obvious, you know. But yeah, if you listen closely, the indications will be there, and then we have to follow up on those. Remember Chris Watts in uh, Frederick, Colorado, yeah. who said he came home and his wife and two little girls were missing, gave a very informal interview with a local television station. I've never seen the interviews with the police. I don't know if the transcripts are available or not, but I just watched the interview he gave with the local media, and he said two things. One, he said, I have no idea where they are. And he also said, I have no inclination, which would be the same thing, as I mentioned earlier. Rarely can a person honestly say that. But then also, I'm talking about his oldest daughter, Bella. He said Bella was supposed to start kindergarten or school on a Monday. But he referred to her in the past tense. It, it should be Bella is supposed to start kindergarten. But he talked about her in the past tense, which means he knows she's dead. And those are the two only big deceptive indicators I saw in his interview. But especially the last one, referring to somebody in the past tense indicates a strong indication they know something we don't know. And eventually he admitted that he did kill his wife and, and two little girls. It must be hard for you to watch the news and stuff because <laughs> you're always listening to how they're saying I'm things. always recording. So I show a lot of videos in my classes, you know, of, of people being deceptive. And can you pick out the deceptive language as we listen to this you know, interview or clip? When I watch the news now, I'm really going to start listening to what they say. This is really fascinating to me. 
that it's just these little words that you never would have picked up on. Yeah. What about the written statements now, Mark? When we're looking at those, are we mostly looking for tense changes? What kind of signifiers are we looking for there? Same signifiers as a verbal statement, although with a written statement, we can do a little bit more with it. There are some things that are harder to pick up on in a verbal statement, but with a written statement, we can take our time. And what I teach people is how to mark up a written statement. For example, I tell them, circle all the pronouns, because pronouns give us responsibility, and people sometimes don't want to take responsibility, and so they'll, they'll leave out the, the pronoun. You know, went to the store versus I went to the store or something like that. Okay. Also, we know the pronoun we and us indicates plurality. Everybody knows that. More than one person was involved. What people don't realize is that the pronouns we and us indicate a partnership between the participants. It doesn't mean they're best of friends. It can be a very limited partnership. But nonetheless, it means that two people collaborate to do something together. So the question is, is should there be a partnership? And most of the time, the answer is yes. Rarely do we do things by ourselves. But in some cases, no. Like in a sexual assault case, we did not expect the victim to partner up with her attacker. So, you know, we went into the house and he raped me. Well, that we is a big problem. It should be he forced me, he dragged me into the house, something like that. And so the we always indicates a partnership, should there be one. And again, most of the time, the answer is yes. But sometimes, no, there shouldn't be a partnership here. So it's kind of the subtle things like that with the English language. Take, for example, the word with. Now, people don't realize this, but the word with in any statement always means distance. For example, I went to breakfast with my wife. I, is at the beginning of the sentence, went to breakfast with my wife at the end of the sentence. They are far away as you can get from each other in that sentence because of the word with. So that indicates distance. So it's a possibility the person is lying. They didn't go to breakfast with their wife. Or maybe they did, but they didn't want to go. That's why they use the word with. Versus... My wife and I went to breakfast. Wife and I. And's a connective word. Joins them together. I see. Willing participant. So I've seen statements where people were lying about what they were doing. And they would use the word with. Instead of saying Joe and I went bowling, they might say I went bowling with Joe as part of their alibi. Well, why'd you use the word with? You didn't want to go bowling? No, I love to bowl. So it turns out they didn't go bowling. Or something else is going on. But yeah, people don't realize, you know, the word with always indicates distance in any statement. Now, it doesn't mean they're being deceptive. You know, the key is, is there a better way of saying it? Or is it distance appropriate? You know, we use the word with probably every day. It shows distance, but that distance is appropriate. But it's just something else. You know, the subtleties of the English language, you know, something else to look for. That's wild. What about, I guess it would be kind of more handwriting analysis. Does the way they connect letters or the spacing of how they're actually writing the words, does any of that play into your ability to decipher it? It does. I'm not a handwriting expert. I have two friends that are handwriting experts and I consulted them because in my uh, second book, Don't Be Deceived, I do have a chapter on handwriting, what to look for in a person's handwriting. But there's some indications that a person uh, based on their handwriting might be secretive and therefore you know, withholding information. But handwriting in general is better suited towards personality traits. Based on this guy's handwriting, you don't want him dating your daughter because he just shows signs of being a violent person. But there are some indications of possible deception that we could focus on, but not, not that many in handwriting. Okay, what about somebody like me? What's my personality trait? I tend to intermix 
print and cursive writing. Does what? It, yeah. That is yeah, weird. Like, <laughs> great. Thanks, Mark. No, like when I was in college. That is weird. And I would be like taking a class or whatever and taking notes. Like I always start very intentionally in print. And I, I mean, I will just say I feel like I have fairly nice eligible print writing but sometimes the speakers would speed up and I'm trying to write faster so then I would switch to cursive like mid taking notes or maybe certain words because (laughs) I can write faster and then I would switch back to print it's just like I guess I guess I'm just weird (laughs) (laughs) that is weird I have seen that though not very often but I've seen a couple of statements where it was all in cursive but then one sentence was printed and so obviously that stands out that doesn't mean, hey, that's a lie. But as an interviewer, I would ask questions about that. Well, why, you know, I wouldn't ask them, why did you, well, eventually I might ask them, why did you print this? <laughs> because we're manic. We're trying to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's, could be. And that's the problem with even body language and handwriting. There could be other factors why it's there. You know, if you're on a bus trying to write a letter, it's bumpy. And, but yeah, I would definitely ask some questions about, that portion of their statement. Or even with handwriting, they're, you know, they'd say handwriting is brain writing. So as they're writing a statement, all of a sudden you have a big uh, space in between two sentences. It's an indication the hand kept moving across the page, but they didn't put the pen to the paper and they're thinking about something there. Ideally, if it's a written statement, you shouldn't give them ruled paper. If you give them paper with lines on it, they know to stay straight across that line. So you give them a blank sheet of paper. And some people... Most truthful people just write straight across the page, left to right. But some people, if they're really thinking too much, they maybe get this what's called a roller coaster effect. You start to write upwards, then come back downwards. Interesting. And yeah, so if I see that, and that's a pretty obvious thing, then I'm going to ask some questions about it. Doesn't mean they're being deceptive there. Could have been just thinking about something else, or you know, or it could be should should I say it? Should I not write it? You know. But yeah, there's some obvious things you want to ask some questions about um, when it comes to handwriting. Were you always interested in English and? the English language? I was. I thought uh, initially when I went to college, I would major in English, but then I decided not to. But English was always fascinating to me in sentence structure. And then especially when I got into linguistic analysis and it really took off. I did terrible in English, but I love to read. But it's just, you know, the the whole adverb, verbs, those things, I get a little tripped up on all those. It just was a toughie for me. But I loved English and I loved reading. I liked English a lot better than math. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Why don't we do some of our fun questions? All right. All right, Mark, I like to ask this one. If you were to pick your last meal, what would it be? Uh, Ribeye steak and a baked potato. Are you making it yourself or do you have a favorite restaurant? I would have somebody else cook it for me. Yeah, fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. You don't want to cook on your last meal. I mean, no, you certainly don't. What is one of your hobbies? I like to golf. I don't get to golf as much as I want to, but I do like to golf. Okay, Mark, I always like this one because I feel like it helps us get to know your personality a little bit, but... When you're getting ice out of the fridge and some of it falls on the floor, do you pick the ice cubes up or do you kick them under your fridge? I pick them up, but I throw them in the sink. Hey, there you go. (laughs) That works. That works. What happens if your ice doesn't make it into the sink and it slides on the counter there? Do you leave it or do you go push it in? Uh, Well, I'll I'll go push it into the sink. Oh, very nice. Very nice. I always like to ask this one, too, because I just love to see what people have a lot of. What is something that you collect? Well, I used to collect Pepsi bottle caps. I don't anymore. Really? Well, I guess they're harder to find. But, yeah, my wife keeps threatening to throw Aww. them out. I probably have 
like 4,000 of them or something. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a lot. What are they in? Like a little box uh, or the a old bin? tin can, coffee cans. Oh, wow. Plastic lids. Okay, yeah. I don't know what I'll ever do with them, but, but I like them. And then um, I used to collect the mafia signatures. Ooh. Bosses, yeah. And then I, I sold a few off. I kept a few of them that I still like, like Frank Costello and Meyer Lansky. How do you go about tracking something like that down? Uh, well, you can, every once in a while, I found them on eBay, but you got to be cautious. And as long as they have a providence for them, then better chance or legitimate like i bought like an al capone one that i'm almost certain is fake it's supposed to be real but i didn't pay much for it so that's a really neat collection i've never heard of that one before if you could give your 20 year old self a piece of advice what would it be oh 20 year old advice i don't know probably stay in better shape okay that's important <laughs> i'm not in bad shape but i was definitely in better shape when i was 20 <laughs> yeah you definitely take it for granted and it definitely sneaks up on you that's for sure you don't have to work at it as hard when you're younger <laughs> yeah so true if someone could play you in a movie who would that be play me in a movie the person i think who would play it very well is uh timothy olenfant Ooh. who starred in a series justified i don't know if you saw that or not yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. As a U.S. Yes. Marshal. Now, I typically don't watch shows, a lot of police shows, because it's just, no, nah, that's not true. That's not real. That doesn't happen. But somebody told me, hey, you got to watch this one. And and I was hooked. I watched the whole series. And in fact, they're coming out with a another series on it. I think it's going to be limited, but I think they're filming it right now because some of my friends are uh, helping them with it. But yeah, when I watched that show, I thought he played a very good U.S. Marshal Probably every deputy marshal thinks, yeah, that's me. I acted just like that. You know, I think the same way. But yeah, I think he would do a very good job. That's a good one. I like that choice. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. And what a fascinating job you do. Well, thank you, ladies. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yes, I enjoyed it. Okay, so here's the question of the week. Would you do the job or not do the job? I think I would. I 100% would. Yeah, I'm really bad at language arts, like language and English. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But I mean, it's true. Um, but I think once I would get the hang of it, I would love it. But it's just going to take me a while to remember what's a noun. I mean, I know what a noun is. Pronouns, adverb, verb. I just don't like that part of the well, English language. Well, maybe you don't have to do the, the written the written ones. Maybe you could just do the verbal. Okay. Yeah, I could do verbal and then you could be the written one. There we go. We can power team it. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. it's really cool. Really interesting. I think it's amazing because it, like you were saying, it's those little tiny switches of a word you would interpret never as a negative. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, they would absolutely not. Whereas I could see from like a person who's trying to be deceptive that they are like he said you're not saying no so you're deflecting it by being like absolutely not I would not how dare you even suggest it you know but I was trying to put myself in that position and then when you but then I thought okay well maybe if I'm a criminal then when you said that I'm thinking maybe when if I'm a criminal I would not be saying certain things but if I'm just innocent I I don't know I think I would also say like no never I think I would do like a but no think, never but you said no first which is like what he was saying is like the the correct answer is no yeah and a lot of times these people aren't saying that but yeah you would probably say no never would I do that yeah. I've never owned a gun but your immediate your first word out of your mouth was interesting no. I'm gonna 
I'm going to start doing this on everyone. <laughs> right? I feel like it's a superpower. I literally, while he was talking, I like pulled up his schedule of classes and I was like, oop, there's one next to me, close to me. I'm going. Because I was like, this is just fascinating. I could easily sit, I could audit that class for days. I feel like it's just so interesting to hear all the examples that he, he shared. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, better that watch out. That is how they said that. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I'm telling you. This is going to level up my mom game to like a whole new ballpark. Yeah. This was a good one. I know. Another job that is just really interesting that you didn't even really know about. Nope. Wouldn't have even thought about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, until next week. Till next time, right? Yeah. Till the next one. Okay. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.